Hi, this is Allegra with your dose of modern life. Healthier, easier, more fun. Summer's coming, and so today I'm going to take a little bit of time to talk about one of our favorite summer topics, beaches. Then we're going to hear from my friend Angela, who you've been catching up with. She left the only job she's ever known for 20 years in pursuit of her passion, and unfortunately, this month, life kind of got in the way. Then I'm going to give you a fun, easy tip to think about shade for your kids and yourself this coming summer. All this and more after this brief musical interlude. See you after the tunes. We're back, and now for my topic, the oceans. Who doesn't love spending time at the beach? Summer is coming. I'm sure you're already starting to make beach plans. Maybe you'll be camping at the beach, which is always a really amazing way to experience the beach. I just love camping at the beach and just spending multiple days there watching the sun go down because, you know, I live on the West Coast, so the sun is always setting in the water and also hearing the crashing waves as you're going to sleep and just the fresh air that is created by being near an ocean is amazing. Now there have been a couple topics that have been on my mind. One because Hawaii is set to become the first state ever to ban certain sunscreens. Now What I want you to do is I want you to go grab a tube of your sunscreen and look at just one line. I want you to look at the line that says active ingredients. And if your sunscreen says anything besides zinc oxide or titanium oxide after it, then those active ingredients are known carcinogens. Now what's a known carcinogen? A carcinogen is something that science has shown to be potentially cancerous for animals, animals like you and me. And this is not new information. This information has been around for at least a decade. However, sunscreens are still being made with ingredients besides zinc oxide and titanium oxide, and they shouldn't be. And let me just explain a little bit just to make it really clear. They're basically two types of sunscreen. Oh, wait, and let me mention one thing. If you haven't listened to some of my earlier podcasts, which honestly, look, hey, I get it. My podcasts have gotten way better since episode 10. I've I've learned some stuff technically, etc. However, if you want to know more about my background, you're going to have to listen to some of the earlier podcasts. But suffice to say that I have a background in the environment, okay, and sustainability and sustainable design. And of course, as you know, I have this huge food background. But anyway, so sustainability. I know a lot about it. So zinc oxide, titanium oxide are what are known as physical barriers, right? So there's two types of sunscreen. They're physical barriers and chemical barriers. Physical barriers work like the sunshades. You know those sunshades that people put in their car windows? They it looks like you're it looks like you're putting up sunglasses or something for your car, you know, they're silver usually. Those are physical, that's a physical barrier. It's physically reflecting the rays of the sun away from your car to keep your car cooler. Same thing with when you put titanium or zinc oxide on your body. 
those tiny little particles of minerals, because that's what they are, zinc and titanium oxide are minerals. So they were rocks, basically, that got crushed up and put into a cream form. Those minerals are literally reflecting the sun's rays away from you. Chemical blockers, which is everything else, all the carcinogenic stuff, all the ingredients that end in cyanate or enzone, right? So there's like avobenzooxybenzooxy, cysylate, whatever, I don't know. Just anything that's not zinc or titanium oxide is a chemical blocker. And those are just not good for you, okay? They don't physically block the rays. They actually absorb? I don't, I don't get how it works. I've never studied it because I avoid them. I've avoided them for over a decade. Now, here's the thing. Not only are these sunscreens bad for you, they're also killing coral reefs. And again, this is not new information. This, this has been known for at least over a decade. However, Hawaii is going to ban these toxic sunscreens from being sold because the danger to the coral reefs in Hawaii has become so severe. Now, look, I just don't understand the benefit of buying these chemical sunscreens when they are bad for you and bad for the environment. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you've ever swum among a coral reef, is that a word, swum? I don't know if that's a word. If you've ever swam among the coral reefs, or if you've seen some amazing footage, I mean, just Google the coral reefs and watch some of the video footage of them. And they are just these beautiful, magical worlds of color and movement. And I want that to be around for my kiddo to enjoy. So there you go. A way to enjoy the beaches and a way to be healthier yourself. Only use physical barrier sunscreens, which means the only two words in your active ingredients on the back of your sunscreen bottle should be zinc oxide or titanium oxide. That's it. There's so many great brands out there. I don't, I don't want to necessarily get into brands and you can honestly get them anywhere. Uh, but just look for those two active ingredients when you're doing your shopping. Now there's another topic that I want to talk about with regards to the oceans. You know, I love tuna. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I love tuna in all forms. I love tuna fish sandwiches. I love, you know, seared ahi. I love albacore sashimi, etc., etc. I I could eat tuna maybe not every day, but certainly every other day. However, I don't. And I don't because of the high levels of mercury that are in large fish like certain tunas, right? There's some tunas that get really large. I don't know if you're aware of this, but let me just explain a little bit. Some tuna fish get really, really big. I mean, we're talking like the size of small cars. I actually one time saw one of these giant tuna fish, um, and someone in my family had caught one and literally just all the neighbors came over and packed up bits of it. Everyone in the family packed up bits of it. And there still was so much. I mean, I don't know. It was like 800 pounds. It was gigantic. So tuna get really big. The higher up you are up the food chain means that you're eating a lot, bunch of smaller animals. And there's just this 
opportunity for heavy metals like mercury to collect in large fish. Okay. Why is there mercury in the oceans? That's a whole nother topic. We're not going to get into it, but you know, it makes me sad because my daughter loves tuna as much as I do. She would eat a tuna fish sandwich every single day, but she can't because of this mercury issue. And mercury has been shown to be bad for a number of reasons. You know, one reproductive issues, but also, I mean, literally it can, it can hurt your brain. Um, people, when you eat, have too much heavy metal in your body, it's called heavy metal poisoning and it can hurt just the way your body functions, the way you think everything. So she can't have tuna every day, but I always say to her, I say, Hey honey, look, if you can fix this tuna in this mercury in the oceans issue, then you can have tuna every day. Yay. So let's work towards that. But okay. So I'm straying, but I just want to point out to you that you know, these things that are healthier for you are also healthier for our planet, which again, makes it healthier for you, right? Like if we weren't putting mercury out in the air, that would be better for us in general, but it'd also be better for the oceans, which ends up being better for you because you're eating stuff out of the ocean. Okay. So, so here's my big environmental concern at the moment. It's microplastics. Okay. What are microplastics? Just a quick little background. When you throw something out, if it's something that grew in the earth, then it will biodegrade back down into components that can be absorbed by the earth again, right? So you take a banana peel, you throw a banana peel out into the dirt, it will biodegrade back into dirt. Yay. Beautiful cycle of life. I don't, I don't know the Lion King phrase, Makuna Matata, something like that, (laughs) right? It goes back into the earth. Perfect. Okay. Plastic does not biodegrade. I don't care what they say because there's some states where they're allowed to make, where plastic manufacturers are allowed to make claims about plastics biodegradability. It does not biodegrade. It will degrade, which basically means it's breaking down. Or sometimes they use the term photodegrade, which means that the sun is tearing it apart into little pieces. But fundamentally, plastic will not break down back into components that the soil can utilize the way the banana peel will. Okay? Maybe it will break down in like 10,000 years but it doesn't break down quickly. Suffice it to say. So let's just say it doesn't break down because 10,000 years, that's look, all the plastic that's known in the world is what? Maybe a hundred years old. When was plastic invented? A hundred years ago? Not even a hundred years ago, maybe 80 years ago. I think it was invented during World War II. Okay. So it's got any plastic that's in our world has a long time to go before it's going to degrade back into soil. Okay. Thousands of years. So here's the thing. Microplastics are those little, so you know, when you see a plastic bag being blown along on the wind and then you see it, a plastic bag that has a hole in it and it's ripped and shredded. And then you see little plastic bits. So those little plastic bits, when they get smaller and smaller and smaller, that's what microplastic is. And microplastic makes its way into the ocean. Either, you know, it flies there the way that 
plastic has a tendency to get whipped up and blown out to sea, or it gets washed down there. Okay. If you live near a body of water, like I live near um, the LA river, the Los Angeles river. There used to be a river that naturally ran through Los Angeles. There is still a low lying area. A lot of times it's dry, but there still is sort of a river bed. Yes, it's encased in concrete, but that's another topic. And if you go to the LA river, there are two parts of the LA river that are not encased in concrete because they are too low to be encased in concrete. And there are still plants in these areas, plants and trees and everything. One of these areas is at the intersection of basically Balboa Boulevard and the LA River, which is located in the Encino area of Los Angeles. And the other part is down by Dodger Stadium in an area known as Frogtown in Los Angeles, so closer to downtown LA. If you go to either of these two areas after a rainstorm, you will see plastic hanging from the trees because there's just so much plastic being washed down the LA River that it's everywhere. Okay, so these microplastics end up in the ocean, and unfortunately, what's happening is you can't, they're not visible to the naked eye. And even if they are visible to the naked eye, they confuse fish, right? So fish are eating microplastic both on purpose because they think it's something that they can eat and on accident because just as they, you know, open their mouth to gulp in some water, they are getting plastic into their body. And this is really, really huge ramifications for the fishing industry and for our ability to eat fish because these fish can become so full of plastic that they can no longer eat, period. Okay. Now the vast majority of microplastic is microplastic that humans just, we don't realize that the plastic is degrading into these tiny little particles and then getting swept out to the ocean. Okay. And what I mean by that are things like these single use plastic bags, right? They go out into the ocean. Another place that people are putting microplastic into the environment and not realizing it is in gardening, right? You lay down that anti-weed barrier stuff. It's plastic. It's going to degrade over time. Or another place would be synthetic grass, right? That is plastic. It is going to degrade and is going to get washed out to the sea. Then there are also some known ways that humans are introducing microplastics into the oceans. And that is through these things called microbeads, which companies put into body washes in order to use them for exfoliating. So if you ever see a term that says microbeads, if, if that microbead, if you don't know that that microbead is jojoba oil, because that's a sustainable way to create a microbead, if you don't know that it's jojoba oil, then it's probably literally plastic and you're washing it down into the ocean by using it. Okay. So there you go. I know that it was a heavy topic, but it's just so important that we be aware because we love our oceans, right? We all love our oceans. Everyone loves going to the beach. We love bobbing around in the ocean, seeing a fish swim by, swimming among the coral reefs, seeing the beautiful color and the diversity of fish there. And we love eating fish. But the fact is, is that there are choices that we make here on land that we don't realize 
are affecting the oceans. So what do I want you to do with this information? One, I want you from now on to only buy sunscreens that have in the active ingredients zinc oxide and titanium oxide. It's better for you and it's better for the coral reefs. Two, I want you to avoid plastic whenever possible. Look, there's some times when plastic is absolutely the only ingredient that you want in a product. Like for instance, you know, rain boots, umbrella, your tent, you need plastic there, but there are lots of places in your life where you can remove plastic from the equation. For instance, our family, we don't use plastic wrap. We don't buy reusable storage bags. We don't take single use plastic bags from stores. These are easy ways to avoid using plastic in your life. Okay. Three, whenever my daughter and I go to the beach or any open space, we have a rule, which is we pick up three pieces of trash that were not ours in order to leave the beach more beautiful than it was when we got there. And I just like to encourage you to use this practice. If we all picked up three pieces of trash that weren't ours, it would go a long way towards keeping the beaches healthy and beautiful. And it would teach your children something about taking care of the world that is so important. Coming up next, my interview with my friend Angela. She is doing an amazing job pursuing her passion professionally. However, as often happens, life gets in the way. And let's hear how she handles that after the tunes. Hi world, I am here with my friend Angela. If you've been following her story, she left the only employer she ever knew. She worked there for over 20 years and she left them the end of 2017 and has been pursuing her own passions in the form of trying to start a business. But she's not quite sure what that is, but it's been fun watching her figure that out. And she's also here because she has just been such an inspiring model of someone who has had to survive and rebuild their life after a life-changing accident. And so, hey, Ange, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you, Allegra? I'm great, thank you. Now, you've had a lot going on since the last time we talked. Can you bring us up to date on the last month or so? Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot seems like an understatement. Um, it's it seems somewhat overwhelming, but, but working through it. So, um, yeah, last, last month I got a call from my sister, um, and she was telling me about how her husband was feeling. And, um, I said, you know, this sounds pretty serious. You probably want to get to an ER and, you know, that was a diagnosis. Um, so he was diagnosed in the hospital or around, around about that time. And then three weeks later he had he passed away. And so it was sudden. It was a lot to process. I don't quite think the whole family has quite processed it all together. Um, all, all completely at this, at this particular point, but so my life has been sort of wrapped around, um, you know, helping my sister through that point of from diagnosis to death within three weeks. Um, oh you know, every, yeah, everything happens for a reason. I actually spent you know, the last 25 odd or so years in the healthcare industry um, and, you know, have had access to information and understood things that, you know, maybe um, the lay person who had not had that experience uh, would not have understood. So 
um, it was, that was helpful to be able to sort of um, be there in support of my sister and sort of understand things that were happening. And, you know, quite, quite frankly, I worked in, um, in a therapeutic area um, that was very, very pertinent to the situation that was at hand that we were dealing with uh, in February. That's crazy. And, yeah. and it was really when it was unraveling, it, it almost sounded like one of those medical dramas where let's, maybe well, it's this thing. Let's try this thing. Let's try this thing. Right. And that, you know, there's, it's so interesting because you don't, you know, you expect medicine to really be so black and white when it's, you know, there are all sorts of shades of gray and there's all sorts of detective work and investigative work that um, the medical professions and professionals and clinicians have to do just to identify in some instances what the underlying issue is such that they can treat appropriately. And so we went through a lot of that. It, um, you know, it reminded me, I don't know if you're, your listeners are familiar with it, but um, um, this, uh, uh, it's not a sitcom, but it's sort of funny, but it's, it's called House. And yeah, it's a doctor that's exactly house. what I was thinking about. I was exactly <laughs> thinking of yeah. House. It's like House. Um, somehow, Dr. House always figures it out with his team by the end of it. Right. Um, and sometimes it ends well, and sometimes it doesn't. And this is a time where um, it didn't end the way we here on earth would have wanted it to end, but he's not suffering. And, um, and there's a reason for everything. I just don't, don't quite know yet. Um, well, for people who've heard your story, they know that you have a whole different level of experience with death and with understanding death than probably most people do your age. So unfortunately, Unfortunately, but yeah, losing my, losing my son in the, in the, in the horrific car accident and, and a mother-in-law and just, you know, you, you, you begin to understand that death is just a part of life. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's a natural progression. Mm-hmm. Um, so you approach it differently. And so you don't live in the same state as your sister. So it's been, this has been taking up a lot of your time. Yeah, it has. So, um, you know, I, I was, you know, really excited to have this free time from my former employer and to pursue these passion projects and pursuits. But, um, you know, I'm spending a significant amount of time with my sister's family, um, her and, and the children, just to, you know, make that day to day a little easier for them. So I'll spend several weeks with my family here, uh, with with my um, little ones, not so little one of them not so little anymore, uh, and and then you know pick up, pack up, and and go up and and spend some time with my sister and try to sort of ease some of that burden. It's amazing how many things just have to get done, and we get in sort of a right. cycling routine. When that routine, for whatever reason, is um, upset or has to be adjusted, um, you know it's it's difficult. And so yeah, so I'm fortunate to be freed up to be there for for my sister. Well, I, I remember when your accident happened, I, it just made me so sad that you and I were so far apart and I couldn't do more. And, you know, it's just, it's so strange the way we live so far away from the people that we're maybe emotionally closest to that when challenges like this come up, you know, it can be really hard to be able to be there physically for someone. Right. Precisely. Precisely. And I am, I count myself fortunate that, you know, she's about five or six hours away, 30 minutes in a, with a flight, maybe 30 minutes to an hour. 
mm-hmm. um, I can be there. Um, yeah. And I have the time to, to do so. But um, that that said, um, it's taking a, a little bit of time, time away from sort of focusing on the passion project, which is fine. And I'm and I'm happy that 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 I'm able to focus on my on my sister. But I also am still very much trying to figure out like what it, you know what's that that one thing that I want to pursue with all vigor um, for my next steps in my um, in my I don't want to say career journey, but you know in, in my life journey. Yes, actually, it's interesting because you know when. Uh... When your car accident happened, I actually owned a store at the time. And I had been thinking about closing the store for other reasons, you know, having to do with just the fact that brick and mortar retail was dying a slow, painful death. But when your accident happened, that was the camel that broke the, that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And I ended up closing the store just a couple months after because I, one of the things that I realized that was really important to me was being able to be there for my family and friends the way I wanted to be and the way that the store hadn't let me be because I had to be there on weekends. I had to be there, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So this might actually help to formulate your one sentence. What's really important to you from your passion project. You know, I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, and, um, and I'm going to have to put more, more, um, more time into it, but you're right. Um, because when these, when these types of things happen, um, you start to evaluate sort of what's the most important in your life and what, mm-hmm. what, what's that, what, what's the thing that you won't give up or, 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 or do without. And, um, I'm going to continue to look at that. And my family is very important to me, not only my nuclear family, but my extended family. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, this has just been one of those life events um, that cause you to reflect even more. Well, I'll be excited to hear from you when you do figure out what that one sentence is. This is, I mean, I really think that that's one of the hardest things and it takes, all, you know, it sounds so easy, one sentence, but you have to go through all of this thinking and planning and, and imagining in order to distill it down to that one sentence. So it, it might take a while. Yeah, it's, it's, um, simplicity is not easy, right? (laughs) Um, there's, there's a story about, you know, I would have, I would have, um, written you a shorter letter, but I just didn't have the time because you just put everything in there. Right. And so you really have to distill it down to what's the, what's the key thing. And, and this particular experience in my, in my life just, you know, says, okay, so what's important? Well, of course my family is important, you know, the nuclear family, but even more so now this being there for my extended family to the degree that I can even more. So whatever I follow from a passion point has to allow me to be flexible enough uh, in my schedule and my timing and and where I am and and sort of um, even location and, and, uh, and so forth and geography to be able to be there for family when I want to be, because that's it. That is important to me. And, you know, one last thought is that I really think that this is not something unique to you and me. I really think that this is something in society where, you know, we've kind of gone from when our gen, you know, the generation before us and before that there was a Mm -hmm. one income family, right. Where there was always a parent that stayed at home, usually the mom, then we went into maybe one or two generations of dual income, 
families. But we're finding out that that doesn't always work that well. You need to have one person in a family who has the flexibility to, you know, be the primary caregiver, not just of the child, but maybe also of extended family. And yeah, it's a really... I just feel like it's a societal movement and that our society needs to become more embracing and accepting and even maybe setting up, you know, support so that this sort of thing is easier. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I have, haven't spent a ton of time thinking about that space, but, you know, I would, I would suspect if we played it out and thought about it long-term, Allegre, that, um, that those sort of jobs that we're talking about, those two, those, those homes with, um, two incomes and two people working and, and some people don't even have the luxury of having, you know, two, two uh, individuals in the home of working age. So there are lots of different families look a different and, and, and so do households, but the idea of when will the work environment and the establishment sort of change to reflect the needs of those who work within it, because you're right, we're probably not the only people dealing with this. And, I was fortunate enough to be able to step out of where I was and I'm able to do this, but when might we have, you know, institutions, businesses that actually allow for this flexibility within if one chose to. Well, you know, I once heard a story that during world war two, when, you know, all the Rosie, the riveters were happening, right. So, so there were yep. so many men out fighting that they were actively mm -hmm. recruiting women to come and work in the factories. Right. That. Yes. During that time, the government actually set up care centers for children, and they would not only watch the children, but they would, when the Rose of the Riveters would go pick up their kids on the way home, they would have dinner ready for them to take home and, you know, have that taken care of. And then when the war was over, they were, those facilities were all shut down. And I just think it's interesting, like, huh, see, this, this existed at one time. We need mm -hmm. to, we need to contemplate these ideas again, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it would be ripe for discussion. Yes. Okay. Well, I look forward to hearing your progress and, you know, wish your, wish your sister the best for me. I will do. I will do. Talk to you later. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Coming up next, my tip for creating shade. After the tunes. We're back, and now for my tip on creating shade. My daughter has this play structure that gets a lot of sun, and I wanted to make it cooler for her. So, what did I do? I reached back into my bag of tricks, and I used an old fashioned way of creating shade, which was I planted a vine. Now look, that might not be the first thing you think of when you think of creating shade. You know, the way we create shade nowadays is, for instance, we have these pop-up structures, right, that have fabric shade. And then another way is that we build these patio structures that are made out of wood. Now, both of those have problems for various reasons. You know, one is that although they provide shade, sometimes those types of structures can actually be hotter because they trap hot air, right? Hot air wants to rise. But if it reaches a solid structure that it can't get through, it makes a space warm. Shady, but warm. Eh, not so good, right? You want shady and cool. 
Well, the beauty of trees and vines is that because they don't provide a solid structure, the leaves, right, have air between them that allows hot air to escape, they're much cooler. Also, trees and plants breathe, and when they breathe, they release moisture in the air. It's called evapotranspiration, and that creates a cooler quality of air around them than you would get from a typical shade, physical shade structure, right? So I planted a vine. Now, this is something that used to be done all the time. If you recall, you might have this idea of Italian restaurants with trellises, with grapes hanging overhead. Well, hey, it's hot in Italy. Grapes grow really well there. So why not kill two birds with one stone and get some shade and get some grapes, right? But you don't have to think about vines just as something that you put overhead. You can actually train vines to grow vertically and provide you with a vertical wall of shade. We actually have a western wall where we've put a trellis and we have a really great vine that's growing there that provides me with shade and blocks some western sun that comes through a window. Okay, now there are lots of vines out there. I'm just going to tell you about one that I love. It's one that grows really well in Southern California, but hey, there are vines that grow well everywhere. So do a little research, find out which vine will work well in your environment. But the plant I want to tell you about today is called a passion vine. Now the passion vine is called passion vine because it produces these flowers that <laughs> they're so amazing looking. I, I, they look like they come from outer space. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. You're going to have to look it up online because it's just the strangest looking flower you've ever seen, but it's beautifully strange. And there are some elements in the structure of the flower that people have likened to the passion of the Christ, which is why it's called the passion vine. And it comes in a few different colors. I've had it in a purplish white color and also in this reddish color, but the one that's grown the best for me is this purple one. Now, here's the thing. I love passion fruit. I was raised on it uh, in Hawaii. It's called lilikoi. I love the way it tastes. Some people find it a little sour, but I think it's amazing. And so I found that when I was looking for a passion vine to plant at our house, in the typical nurseries, I could only find non-fruiting passion vines. I don't know why these non-fruiting plants get sold. I don't, I don't get it personally. Like I want the food. If I'm going to grow the plant, I want the fruit, right? But however, I'm really lucky in that I have a good full service nursery near me. It's called Tarzana Nursery and it's run by this awesome man named John who I've known for decades. So I said to John, Hey John, can you get me a fruiting passion vine? And he said, sure thing, Allegra, no problem. <laughs> I don't know if you said exactly that, but it was something like that. And a couple weeks later, I received a fruiting passion vine and it was, it was really affordable. I mean, it was certainly less than $25. The number that comes to mind now is $17. It's, it's been a while. I'm on, I'm on my third or fourth passion vine because here's the thing with passion vines is they grow really quickly, but like many things that grow quickly, they don't have a really long life. I want to say they live about seven or eight years. So I'm on my third or fourth passion vine at this point. So he got me one and we gave it water its first summer. And then we've never watered it since. They are incredibly durable. They put down long, deep roots. 
They grow these really cool thick trunks that are just so gnarled and beautiful. And then they shoot off these amazing vines that grow so easily. They just need something to climb on. If you want them to climb by themselves, they need something with a really, really thin wire, like a chicken wire. But if you are willing to do a little bit of training to get it started, it will then start growing on top of itself. So you train it, you, you loop it through some things that are maybe too big for it to climb on its naturally, but then it'll start looping around itself and it'll keep, it's like a self-sustaining process. It's pretty cool to watch. Now here's the really cool thing about passion vine. Not only do they grow fast, they grow fast, they use very little water, they provide amazing shade, cooling shade, they provide an edible fruit. However, one more thing that's amazing about them is that they provide all of these other benefits if you dry the above ground components, which are called the aerial components of a plant. So the leaves, the, the vine part itself, the little tendrils, if you dry that and grind it up and make an herbal infusion out of it, it's actually really good for you in a lot of ways. It is a natural analgesic, which means it's a pain reliever, and it is also a natural sleep aid. So again, I'm not a medical doctor. You need to look the stuff up for yourself and decide if it's good for you. Talk to your medical professional. But herbs are very powerful, and this is one that I absolutely love. So next time you need shade, think about a vine. They grow much faster than trees. They don't require the same space as trees. And they will provide you with a quality of shade, a cool shade that cannot be beat by other kinds of physical structures. Also, you won't have to sand them and paint them and etc. do all that stuff to maintain them. You will have to cut them back now and then, and you might have to give them a little water to establish them. But if you find the right vine that can grow in your area, they are essentially maintenance-free, which is pretty darn awesome. Thanks for tuning in today. If you thought my show was fun or useful, please let me know by leaving me a comment wherever you subscribe. They mean more than you know. You can also send me a tip through Patreon at patreon.com slash Allegra Ramos. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash A-L-E-G-R-E-R-A-M-O-S. I have great thank you gifts for my supporters and look forward to when I have 500 patrons and can hire an editor to provide you with more great content. And by the way, if you want more great content from me, check out my Teachable channel where I have all my cooking webinars. That's allegvaramos.teachable.com, T-E-A-C-H-A-B-L-E.com. I actually have a free intro cooking webinar that you can check out and just see what you think of my cooking style. It's great for all ages, and I make it super, super simple. I don't even cook in my kitchen because I want to show people just how simple it is to make healthy, delicious food fast. So check it out. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast wherever you listen. And if you'd like to submit questions, email me at hello at AllegraRamos.com or download the free Anchor FM app and call into my show so I can play your question on the air. I'll see you next time for another dose of Modern Life, healthier, easier, more fun. I'm actually doing something a little bit different because I recorded an interview that ended up being really long but really fun with the host of a travel show. Michaela Lousy hosts a show called Bare Feet, and she is an amazing 
traveler woman speaker. I just love her. And she travels the world and she learns about that culture and that country by dancing, which is really, really fun to watch. You should definitely check it out and listen to the next couple of episodes because I'm going to divide up her interview into two episodes because it was such a long, wonderful interview. So I'll see you next time. Be a spark in the world. Over now.